Hello everyone, this is Karin Takar and welcome to the Zenergy Podcast. Over the past decade, India has done an impressive job of integrating renewable energy into its energy mix. For this Fulbright podcast series, I sought to investigate the enabling factors and potential of India's global leadership in renewable energy with the focus on solar. This Fulbright series is broken down into four seasons. In this season, through conversations with leaders who have been instrumental in developing the Indian renewable energy sector, we will highlight how India has managed to integrate 35 gigawatts of solar in just a span of 10 years. We will also explore what these leaders believe the key challenges to be as this sector further develops. In this episode, I'll be speaking with C.P. Punacha, who is the Managing Director of the DLF Power and Services Limited, and also the Commercial Managing Director of the DLF Group. Mr. Punacha talks about DLF's real estate expansion plans and how renewable energy fits into these plans. Hope you enjoy my conversation with C.P. Punacha. Well, Mr. Punacha, thank you so much for taking the time to participate in this interview. I really appreciate it. And prior to diving into my specific questions, I'd like to ask you to briefly introduce yourself so that listeners can get an understanding of your involvement in the energy sector in India. Could you please provide a brief introduction? My name is Punacha. Spelled as P O N A C H A. I am basically I am an engineer and MBA finance, and I am a sort of techno commercial person. I had been in the power sector and later power plus other and like the real estate construction sector for nearly four decades now. And Initially, I was in, uh, in a power equipment manufacturing company called Bharat Heavy Electricals Limited long back. Even now, it's one of the, the best run public sector companies in the power field. But in the last about 30 years, I am with uh, DLF. In the DLF, of course, I look after the all power related matters. I am managing director of a company called DLF Power and Services Limited. I'm also the commercial director for the whole group. I look after all contracting, purchasing, all commercial issues for all businesses of the group. Our group, we have, as I said, office-based business, shopping malls, residential buildings, few hotels, and all this kind of a thing. So this is generally, this is my profile. Thank you for expanding on that. And as the managing director of the DLF Power Group and the commercial director of the DLF Group, what are some of your key roles and responsibilities? And can you also give some more background on the DLF Group for those who may be unfamiliar? DLF, we have two or three different kinds of properties, etc., or product range. Number one is the officers' complexes. That is, we let out the fully electrified, air-conditioned, maintained office spaces, uh, buildings to various 
companies, Indian as well as international companies, most our 60-70% of the area is leased out to mostly MNCs, multinational corporations. And these buildings are owned by DLF and maintained by DLF. And the people, they depending on the companies requiring how many floors or half the floor or whole building, they lease it out for a long term and run their offices from there. We have these offices in various parts of the country. We have a huge uh, cyber city you must have seen in uh, DLF, Gurugaon. There itself, it is about uh, 14, 15 million square feet of office space leased out. And we have also offices in other parts of Gurugaon, Delhi, Hyderabad, the Calcutta, Chennai. Chennai also, we have a huge IT park of about 7 million square feet, and we are now going to develop further. So currently, DLF has about 35-40 million square feet of office spaces leased out. And we are also started now building further office buildings of about 25 to 30 million square feet. The building constructions have started in various stages. Other, this is all on the commercial office space. Then, of course, we also have shopping malls that, of course, mostly in the national capital region uh, in Delhi, Gurugaon, which we'll, again, we own the buildings, we maintain, we provide the electricity and air conditioning and then let out to various retails, various chains and various restaurants and shops. Then, of course, we have, we build these residential projects, like you mentioned, you are currently staying in Crest. You would have seen uh, in Gurugaon, there are lots of such uh, complexes, mid-range and high-end. Uh, we don't do the low-income or medium-income group projects, residential projects anymore. So, coming to this, for example, in the residential segment, as you know, they're all sold out to the individual property owners. So these buildings, complexes are run initially for a year or so. DLF helps them run the thing and then it is all run over by the residents per se associations, what we call as RWAs. So the residents themselves form a committee and then they do the thing and mostly they get some connections from the local government licenses or the grid, grid power, what we call, they get the power. But then uh, this, that is as regards the residential projects. That also we have done in various parts of the country. So that's the model. But you see, coming to the cyber city here in uh, Gurgaon, uh, and there's also a property called Silokara, which is about uh, seven, eight kilometers from the cyber city on the national highway. These two properties, we when we started and wanted to get attract the IT companies, mostly the tenants are all IT and ITES, IT-related services. For then, that time, the power situation in Haryana was very, very poor. The availability was only about, say, 60% of the time in a year. And when available too, the quality was poor. The voltage was less or more and the frequencies were poor, so this could would damage the our tenants' equipments. Because there are many data, even international data centers, the banks, etc., they operate from our cyber city. So they need, you know, 100% percent 
backup power and uninterrupted good quality power. For that, we have set up our own co-generation plants in the cyber city and at Silokaram. Co-generation meaning uh, there has to be more than two types of energy generated to qualify as a co-generation plant. So we have gas supply, gas. These are gas-based, primarily the gas-based plants, where we get gas from the Gas Authority of India Limited on a long-term contract. Then we have plants in our huge basements. We have gas turbines, gas engines, generating primary power. And the because we have a huge air conditioning requirement, the heat uh, coming, the hot gases coming out of the gas turbines or gas engines, they are utilized in waste heat recovery, VAMS we call, that is short form for vapor absorption machines. This is a type of new technology for air conditioning. Here there is a complex chemical system inside the VAMS and the hot gas, the heat is absorbed and chilled water is generated. This chilled water we circulate through a district cooling system in the cyber city and we take it from one generating point up to three, four kilometers, five kilometers, and then pump it up to various floors of various buildings. So that is how it is a cogeneration plant. We do air conditioning, we do also supply electricity for this property. And other are the commercial buildings in various parts of the country, of course, we have tied up uh, now with all uh, with the local electricity boards. So we get the mix of, I don't know how they source the power, different electricity boards have some quantum of renewable power and most of it is still conventional power, coal-based and gas-based power plants, they get the power. So that's how we get the power for the all our office complex and the residential complexes. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of so the cyber hub has its own cogeneration plant, that DLF. So let me clarify, cyber hub is only that hub of about 40 restaurants. But that cyber city, we cyber call city. it, whole okay. uh, huge glass-based buildings, you know, there are about 18, 20 buildings in that area. They're all let out for offices, IT companies, IT enabled services. They're, that big area we call as cyber city. I know it, yeah. My mistake. And that makes, that's very interesting. So I know you briefly mentioned that the DLF group has ambitions to develop another 40 million, I think you said, square feet for a similar uh, type. 40, 40 may not be 30, about 30 million square oh, feet. Okay. So for example, in this, as DLF group is scaling and as also like renewable energy technologies are now becoming economical, mm-hmm. To a large degree. Mm-hmm. So, are there any plans? What are your own pers- or your views in terms of can renewable? I'll come to that. So, thank you. Now, coming to the renewable energy system, we have, of course, all of our commercial buildings, these office buildings and shopping mall roofs, we have all installed solar rooftop solar systems. So, these have been mostly set up on a build-own operate by the solar power developers. There are companies, as you know, Azure Power, Renew Power, Tata Solar, etc. So these companies have set up, uh, we have roughly about 3 megawatts of 
rooftop solar spread over various buildings in DLF. Okay, and yeah, I know DLF Group was the first real estate company to actually personally get solar on its rooftops. So three megawatts. So for example, in this new, as development proceeds, do you see this growing in its portfolio, in the DLF Group's portfolio? Yes, this is the... any office, but we don't leave any office roof empty. See, some portion of the roof gets absorbed also because we have our cooling towers for the air conditioning systems and pumps, etc. It occupies some space. And all other rest of the space, we any new building coming up, we put up these rooftop solar systems. Okay, very interesting. That is the one thing. And the number two, where... We have uh, now grid connections. This government, central government, of course, is pushing or is encouraging setting up of the conventional, no, non-conventional power systems like solar, wind, etc. And in this context, like we are in uh, final stages, but for the COVID, now for the last five six months, it is getting delayed, derailed. But we are in final stages of discussion with the. Solar power generators in Chennai, for example, in the southern city of Chennai. Because as I mentioned to you, there we have about 7 million square feet of IT park there, the SEZ. So we want to set up a ground based at a distance wherever they get land. Because as you know, one megawatt of solar power needs about roughly five and a half acres of land. So they had to find the line block and also the transmission arrangements, etc. And then we want that power to be wheeled to our season so that we get it. One is we encourage the non-conventional power and that would be cheaper compared to what the government licensed distribution companies gives us the power. That's very interesting. Yeah, I was most curious about that area. And yeah, for example, say in a lot of the present DLF properties, maybe we can use Cyber City as an example, just because of how big that mm-hmm. um, area is. So I was, I'm curious. Cyber City also will be going into this arrangement slowly because, as I told you, when we started Cyber City about uh, and 15 years back, uh, start to attract the good foreign IT companies, we need to have a 100% reliable power. So we had set up, as I told you, our own co-generation power plant. Because of that till now, because power position was not good of the state government, we had not taken any grid power connection. So now we have applied for it. So we expect the grid power to come in about uh, nine months to one year. After that, we would also have planned to have similar solar power plants on ground and wheel power to the cyber city to have those non the green power for the cyber city. Wow, that's that's amazing. That's amazing to hear. And what are your what are like some of the key challenges from your perspective in terms so the of the challenge mainly is very changing unreliable what you call the regulations of the state governments. See, anybody who invests in this, they, the loan tenure normally is about 12 years for these green plants, power plants. So 
till 12 years if somebody has to make calculations and know his returns know his ability to pay back the loans and service the loans etc the parameters or the terms and conditions should be fixed it can't be that the viability cannot go wrong 2 3 years down the line once you set up a plant so some states had tried to make it uh, for they have brought in lot for example haryana about one year back to one and a half years back they said uh, the state regulatory commission there will be no cross subsidy surcharge there is what is called as a cross subsidy surcharge if you have a captive plant and you wield the power using their systems but normal conventional power there is a huge amount per unit of power about 1.5 rupees 1 rupee different states they have very high surcharges they have some other additional charges etc so this when they say this will not be leviable for solar and wind power they said one and a half years back and then after a while a few months back they said no it is will be levied so if somebody is to set like set a power plant and investments made on saying that the unit cost for generation will be this much and later if the many additional charges get levied the whole viability does not exist for the plant and number two similarly in this line there are many states just like tamil nadu they used to allow for wind and solar power annual banking you do i hope you understand what's meant by banking not it fully if you could explain a little that would be really nice yeah banking is that see these are wind or solar unlike the conventional coal based plants coal based plants can generate at will as long as there is a load royal because 24 by 7 it can operate continuously because you are feeding coal or gas whereas a solar can generate generally only for about 8 to 10 hours a day morning at 8 am to evening 6 pm or 5 pm because when the sun is you know bright the rest of the time it cannot generate similarly wind is also cyclical it depends on certain seasons of the year it generates well other seasons it generate doesn't generate sometimes night it is less daytime it is more so there are lots of natural conditions it controls the generation in that case so when you generate in the daytime whatever its generation time of a wind or a solar you are allowed to pump in it into the government grid and store it keep it there in the sense keep it in the sense that can be used by others and you can withdraw and consume that much power any time during the year this is called as banking so this is arrangement which should be there in our opinion for non conventional power of solar and what do you call the wind power because those generation times cannot be controlled by individuals it's a nature natural phenomenon so this thing uh, and now even tamil nadu they have withdrawn for all the new plants to be set up they say banking can be done only on a month one month basis that is hardly anything otherwise you got to consume on real time basis real time basis means when you are generating at the time you got to consume we have set up a captive power plant say so whatever generated between 8 am to 5 pm in the evening you got to consume during the time itself so this 
drastically reduces the ability to the ability for consumption of the fully generated units of power. That makes sense. This is very interesting. Thank you so much for expanding on this. Really interesting. I did, I actually did not know that these policies have been reenacted in Tamil Nadu, for example. I was just going to ask: Is this also the case in yeah. Haryana? Or no, Haryana also now. Yes, I think they have changed. Initially, they came up with a very good, ambitious plan, but then later on, see what is happening. Unfortunately, in India is most of the erstwhile we used to call it as electricity boards of the state government or in each state. Then they made as an improvement and uh, progress, developed, made it into various government-controlled corporations, one for distribution of power, one for generation, another for transmission of power. So all of them, them are due to historical reasons are in the red, most of them. They're, they're all making losses. So the government to protect their interests are uh, sort of, you know, they're making that uh, you should uh, not consume it on a 20. Annual banking and there will be cross-subsidy surcharges. All these surcharges are goes to the these government distribution and generation companies, distribution and transmission companies, so that, you know, their losses are reduced. So this becomes a sort of a vicious cycle. So when... The, you say the power cost capex has come down, but then at the same time, these charges keep increasing. So the charm, or I would say the arbitrage between the government-supplied grid power and, a, say, solar power is not much. Earlier, that could have been rupees 3 or 4 rupees per unit, whereas with these charges, if they kick in, then the costs will uh, go up tremendously. So what do you think is the solution for these potential challenges? Would energy storage, in your view, completely change no, everything? Energy for? storage is also very costly as of now. There are lithium-based battery systems, which they say with lithium, the size of the batteries reduces drastically, unlike the conventional power. The conventional batteries, but then at the moment the prices, price of cost of these lithium battery systems are prohibitive, very costly. My opinion is the government, when central government has set up a guideline, they want to encourage this, but then they should also impress upon the state governments. They should make clear-cut policies which are fixed for a period of say ten years, twelve years. Otherwise, the viability, you cannot consider the viability at all. Today, there are some rules. Tomorrow, it changes. How will the investments make? And how will the banks lend to the developers? And how will the developers pay back the loans? That's the issue. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I think a few people who have been interviewing have expressed similar concerns. So I really appreciate you clarifying on that. And just in terms of DLF's plan, like moving forward, so can you talk a little bit about just the group's plans moving forward? I know you mentioned briefly on this, but if you could give a little more detail and also if you can incorporate a little bit on how, if you think renewable energy, maybe if storage comes cheaper, whether the group will then start to become a lot more active in this space. 
perspective, as I told you, we are into these three, four segments. One is building of residential, high-end residential complexes and then selling it. And uh, some of them, we very high-end apartment, uh, the complexes in Gurugaon, like they are called Aralias, Magnolia, or now Camellias is another one, the best, most luxurious property in India. We are it's in final stages. All that we also take the onus of maintaining and running and giving a proper services to the customers. And all other residential complexes, we sell it off. Then we have, as I told you, office complexes, which we have all around the country, the major cities. Then we have shopping malls, retail, that is one of the areas which we own and operate. Then a few hotels there are. So this is our uh, the total gamut of the activities. But in this coming to the power sector, I will explain to you what we are currently doing. And we will definitely all office retail spaces on the roof, we would have a roof-mounted uh, solar plant. And plus, like in uh, for our cyber city, in where we have you know contiguous or in large office complexes, we are tying up with developers. If uh, the regulatory environment stabilizes, we might even at our own cost set up our own plants, uh, ground-based power plants. Very interesting. That is something which uh, we are well-versed in the solar, this thing, for example, we know, I know all the calculations and sensitivity analyses, what is the capex, what should be the thing, etc. And like in Chennai, as I told you, we're in final stages of tying up for 30 megawatt of ground-based this thing, that solar plant. In uh, cyber city, we may require about a 100 megawatt capacity solar plants. Then we have a huge mall, which is the biggest shopping mall in India, called Mall of India at this uh, Noida. You must have heard of Noida here adjoining Delhi. There's a 2 million square feet of mall. For that, we have just tied up with a company called Am Solar, And they would set up a solar plant and provide us, we need about 3 crores of units, but due to the regulations of we can only consume as and when it is generated, we would be consuming about 1 and 1.5, that means about 15 million to 20 million units of power per year from solar plant again. And solar has set up with an uh, approval license from the government of Uttar Pradesh in uh, India. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So are you optimistic that the regulatory environment will stabilize? No, it's all, again, it's, highly, it's a question of revenue for the government-controlled distribution companies. So they feel, but we are, though it is at a risk and taking certain investments, people generate the solar power, etc. But they feel they are getting a cheaper power, so you got to share your profits, <laughs> to tell it crudely, with the government distribution companies. So that is something which is a nagging point still. There are certain such regulatory issues. Some issues are already challenged by various companies in the courts of law in India. 
the matters have reached up to even the Supreme Court of India. So we need to see in the next few months or a year how things would turn. Understood. Understood. And now actually is my final question, just because I I really am I'm getting a little greedy here, but I, I'm just very curious. I always ask everyone this. Um, and I know we're like a few minutes over time, but essentially, so because you've had such a great career and I just wanted to ask, when you reflect mm-hmm. back on your own career, and I'm someone who's just starting my career, so this is why I'm very curious, but even if you were to imagine giving some advice to your own younger version of yourself, just mm-hmm. postgraduate, and reflecting on all your experiences, is there anything particularly that any advice you would like to give to the younger generation or to someone like me just starting mm-hmm. out? So what I would say is one is you have to work hard. You have to be to maintain your integrity and be focused on the job. Because unless you're focused, if your mind is on hundred different things, then it's impossible to really come out with a solution or this thing. See, many a time people might think this working hard integrity are old-fashioned, but I don't think I have been observing. I'm a good observer of life itself or people. But many a time a hard-working person may feel left out because somebody else, you know, by certain manipulations or whatever may go ahead of them. These are all, you know, transitory things. Ultimately, in your own career path, these old-fashioned ideas of hard work, integrity, and, you know, the being very diligent, that does help. And number two is prioritizing your own job. In the sense, in a given day, there are normally something, each individual, you may like to do certain part of the work in your total, the gamut of works, oh, this I'll do, I'll keep doing. But you've got to see what is priority and priority of also what is your boss or your company wants it to be done first. So certain other things you may get delayed. See, there is a rule of 20, they say. Rule of 20 means out of 100 things, you concentrate on 20 and do that first and do it well. That, you know, takes your reputation higher. So thank you so much. Really welcome, welcome. Wish you all the best. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And do check out the show notes for more information on my guest. See you next time.